Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. All right, so I want to start today by asking you a simple question. Do you always fight fair? Do you always fight fair? Now, uh, as I say that, some of you are like, uh, mm, I don't like where this is going. This is, this, this is going to be a dumb message. I don't want to hear this. And I understand that because conflict can be very, very difficult. It can be very, very frustrating. And I'll be honest, when I stand up here and preach, there are, there are days where I feel good about what I'm about to preach because I've been really good at that thing that I'm preaching about. And, and this one is not as much that way, all right, when it comes to uh, conflict, when it comes to disagreements and acting well in all those things. I wish I could say that in my home, we are perfect when it comes to conflict. It's just not the case. There's no home that's perfect this way. Um, Thursdays are my day off, and, and Crystal goes to work on those days, and so uh, this last Thursday, I was at home with my girls, and, you know, we're, we're doing homeschool stuff, and so I'm trying to take my girls through some homeschool things and all this stuff, and we just were not clicking that day. Me and my girls were not clicking at all. I don't know what was going on, but there was one point where one of my daughters said to two other of my daughters, you guys need to just be nice to each other. Why are you so mean? And I was walking down the steps at that moment, and I said, yeah, you guys need to chill out. And then my oldest daughter looked at me, and she says, whatever, Dad, you're mean too. <laughs> I tell you, there's times in your life where you're like, I need to scold a child. And then there's times where your, your child says something and you're like, mm, dang, she's right. <laughs> I literally, just minutes before that, had been trying to teach my youngest daughter, Finley, something, going through it. And, and I didn't have the patience for her that day. I, I don't know if she was a little tired and I was a little tired. And, and it got to the point, no lie, where she wasn't, it felt like everything I was saying to her was in another language. She just wasn't understanding it. And I got frustrated and I slammed the book down and just had to walk outside for a minute. Not my proudest moment. All right? Not my proudest moment at all. But that's what happens. Like, there's conflict in all of our lives. Relationships, there's disagreements and there's frustrations. How do we deal with those things? And I think today's passage, there's some really good stuff. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I wish that I had worked on the bulk of this message on Wednesday instead of Friday. Because if I had worked on it on Wednesday, some of this stuff about, uh, about conflict might have actually been in my head on Thursday, and I might have dealt with my kids with a little more patience and grace. Um, but I didn't. Relationships are hard. And they're hard because we all have our own wants and our desires. And people get in the way of that all the time. Disagreements are inevitable. They just come about in our lives. But some of the questions, can there be answers to how we can fight fairly to keep our relationships healthy? Do blow-ups in relationships have to be the rule all the time for us? I don't know about you, but I don't want conflict to be the thing that ruins my day anymore. I don't want conflict to be something that gets in the way of relationships with people that I care about. Are there some answers to how we can experience disagreements and frustrations in our relationships without conflict becoming the thing that our relationships are defined by. It's not fun to be in a relationship where that relationship, really, the definition of it, it just seems to be conflict. And so I think this is a really big topic, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to just go and find one passage and we're going to talk through that on this. I think Scripture has a ton of different ideas and thoughts that can help us when it comes to 
our disagreements and our conflicts and our relationship struggles. And so we're going to look at a number of those things, and these are Bible-based truths that we're going to be talking through today that I think can help us. And the first principle, really, that I want to, I want to just throw out there, and it's, it's really the starting point for, for all of these ideas that we're going to talk about. Here's what it is. You cannot change the other person. You can only change you. You're not going to change the other person, but you can change you. And some of you, when I say that, you're like, I don't like that. The other person I'm in conflict with right now, they're wrong. They need to change. You might be thinking, man, I'm, I'm, I'm right in this. I'm always right, it seems like, every time. And that's why conflict comes up, because they're always so wrong. That might be your first sign that you're in a bad place, if that's how you're thinking. I actually learned a really good lesson uh, back when I was, I was in the summer before my freshman year of high school. And I was at an open gym uh, basketball thing with all these guys. Who, some of them in graduate high school, some of them were going in high school. Uh, as a, again, going into freshman year, I was guarding this kid who had just graduated high school. So he's, he's got about four years on me, five years, whatever it is. And we're playing, and, and man, we started getting competitive with each other. I'm not a trash talker when I play sports. Some of you are like, really? Seriously, I, I'm not. I know it's hard to believe, but this day we, we started jawing at each other. Now, to this day, this is like 30 years later, what, however many years this has been, and I still to this day look at it and go, I didn't do anything wrong. That's still what goes on in my brain when I think about this situation. I think I was scoring on him, and I was, I was making him look like a fool, so this kid who just graduated didn't like it, so he got mad at me, and then I had to fight back because, you know, I'm a little guy. i got to stick up for myself. And what happened was, the coach's son, who had also just graduated high school, he looked over at us, and he's like, both of you guys, shut up. And I didn't like, like any athlete, when they get called out for doing something that they didn't do, it was this. What? If you're watching an NBA playoff basketball game, you, they, they get... They punch people in the face on a foul, and they're like, what did I do? And that's kind of what I felt like the day. I'm like, dude, I didn't do anything. And he looks at me, and he goes, it takes two to tango, Kellen. Now, I don't know if I'd ever heard that before. I probably had to go home and ask mom and dad what it meant. I don't know. But I, I thought about it, and I was like, dude, he's totally right. The conflict that was going on between me and this kid, it, it wasn't just him. I had a part in the conflict. And I think that was a pretty wise thing for that 18-year-old guy to say to me at that time. At some point, we need to take responsibility for the conflicts in our lives. It's not just somebody else's problem. Galatians 6.4 says this, Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Each one should test their own actions. Can I just say that this goes against our sin nature, testing other people's actions, or our own actions? In my sin nature, I want to test everybody else's actions. Everybody else is wrong, and I am not wrong. I'm always going to look at other people first. But the truth is, the only person that we can control in any situation is ourselves. Can't control how another person's going to deal with the, the conflict, the, the, the relationship issues that you've got going on, but you can choose yourself how you're going to fight fairly. You can choose it ahead of time, you can choose it in that moment. The truth is, disagreements are going to happen in our lives, they are absolutely inevitable. Conflicts, though, are my choice. Conflict is actually my choice. I'm going to quote a book this, 
this morning uh, a couple different times. It's a really good book called The Anatomy of Peace, Resolving a Heart of Conflict. It's uh, put out by a group called the Arbinger Group. And uh, if you struggle with conflict in your life, I, I think I've read this book twice, and as I was putting some of these quotes in the message, I was like, man, I need to read this book again. If you've got conflict in your home, in your workplace, whatever, it's a, an amazing book to read. But this first thing that I want to read from the, the book, it's this. No one can force a warring heart upon us. When our hearts go to war, we ourselves have chosen it. You think about that for a little bit. Nobody can, nobody can force you into having a warring heart against somebody. If you're mad at your spouse this morning because they did something that made you angry, you let yourself get angry. We don't like to think that way. We like to think everybody else did this to me, but the truth is, if I've got anger in my heart, if my heart is at war, it is me who has allowed that to happen. And yeah, I think another person can definitely hurt you. Another person can definitely bring difficult things into your life. But when it comes to my heart being at war with that person in conflict, that is my choice. That's the first bit of responsibility I think we need to, we need to take on when it comes to dealing with conflict in our lives. You alone decide to enter into a fight to the death. You alone can also exit that fight to the death anytime you want to. So I think that's really the principle that I want us to be thinking through as we talk through the, uh, these other like three or four things that we're going to look at. I have responsibility. Bottom line, how I'm going to deal with conflict, it is my responsibility. That's what every, where everything else is going to go through today. So I want to also turn now here three really important passages that we're going to look at that gives us three really good principles of dealing with all this conflict. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I love how the writer Paul, he just makes it so easy. He's like, all right, put off all anger and rage and malice and all that stuff. Just stop doing it. Like it's supposed to be that easy, right, Paul? I, yes, I would love to be kind, I, I desire to be kind. I want to be kind. Do I really want to be kind all the time? No. Let's be honest. We don't actually always want to be kind. There is something inside of me that loves to be bitter at somebody else. The reason is because if I can see, if I can see the wrong and the fault in somebody else, then it means that there's something better in me, that they are worse than me than I am. Now, maybe, maybe all of you are not like that. Maybe all of you are like, I actually love to be kind all the time to people. Well, then you are better than me. Because I like to have a little bitter, bitterness sometimes. I hold on to that bitterness, and it confirms in me that the other person is worse than I am. Can I tell you how dangerous this kind of thinking is for our inner spirit? The moment that we find that this is how we think, we should be going to God and saying, okay, God, that's not right. Please help me. Because even sometimes realizing it's wrong, I can dig in in the moment that I'm realizing my thinking is wrong and say, I don't care right now, it feels right. I need God's help to kind of lift me out of that sometimes. But here's what the passage is really, I think, trying to say to our, to our hearts and to our minds. Forgiveness releases our bitterness. If we're going to release that bitterness in us, it's only going to come by way of actually forgiving somebody else. Forgiveness is difficult. It, again, it is not natural to us. It goes against our nature. But to become kind to other people, I actually have to let go of the bitterness. 
if I'm going to be tenderhearted towards somebody else, I have to let go of the things in me that I'm holding against them. I'm telling you what, I, one thing about me, if you know me really well, you probably know this, I don't have the greatest poker face. If I am mad at somebody, it is really, really, really hard for my face not to show it. I hate that about me. And some of you, you're like, Callan looked at me really wrong. I think he hates me. And like, don't take it too far, okay? Sometimes I'm also just an introverted person, and I don't know how to, uh, uh, like, act socially, okay? But there are times where there's this real bitterness in me, and it's like my face can't hold back from showing it. If I'm going to be kind and tenderhearted towards people, I actually have to get to that place of forgiveness. I have to forgive people because the bitterness, it is going to eat away at me. It's going to be really hard for me to love people the way that Paul's calling us to love people. So how do we forgive? Forgiveness is hard, so how do we do it? And I think there's a couple do's and don'ts that are really simple that, that we all should look at today. First one, do focus on the present. Don't focus on what happened in the past. What's going on now? Don't worry about what happened in the past. Let's look to right now. Sometimes the right now is not great. So then you got to do the second one. Do grace. Don't do self-righteous judgment. Sometimes looking into the present good, there's just not, not much good. And so now I've got I to look to the grace that I can well up. Well, here's the thing. I can't well up grace in myself all the time. Sometimes what i got to do to hit these two, these two do's and don'ts, I've actually got to look to Jesus. How did Jesus give me grace? How does Jesus put away the past for me and look to what is going on right now in the present? That's how, that's how Jesus shows us grace every single day. And that's the only way we're going to get to that place with other people is if we look to Jesus. Conflict is going to happen when I'm a self-righteous person. If I'm always self-righteous and the other person is always wrong, I'm going to be welcoming a, a conflicting nature within me. So this from the Anatomy of Peace again. It says, there is a question to ask yourself when you are feeling bothered about others. Am I holding myself to the same standard I am demanding of them? It's interesting because I think about the, the standard that Jesus holds me to. It's a high standard, but it's also a standard where he forgives. He forgives any standard that I don't live up to. And it's amazing because I think sometimes what happens is you and I, we hold the people in our lives to a higher standard than we expect Jesus to hold us to. That's, that's interesting, right? I'm, I'm holding people to such a high standard that I can't show them love and grace the way that Jesus has showed me. That's, that's messed up. If you demand too much from others, you are going to become bitter. Demanding a lot from people, it, it causes bitterness. But if I freely forgive much, there's nothing that someone else will do that'll make me so mad that I'll be ready to go to war with them. We gotta stop demanding so much of other people. Demanding more of ourselves than Jesus even demands of us. We get to control our response to people. We don't get to control the other person. All right, so that's kind of the first one. Uh, let's go to the second thing here that I want to look at. Second great principle comes here out of Proverbs 15, verse 1. And it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Soft answer turns away wrath. Can I say, I think we live in a culture now that it's kind of a culture of get loud and get mad. Like, if somebody does something to make you upset, tell them about it. Let them know. And I think social media has a lot to do with that. Um, there's actually a really, really great quote by a guy that 
I don't think most of us would be like, oh, that's the wisest dude in the world. But this quote that he said is brilliant. All right, it comes from none other than Mike Tyson. Social media made you all way too comfortable with disrespecting people and not getting punched in the face for it. I'm telling you, I love that quote. And it, it's kind of true. We can say whatever we want in this social media world, and sometimes we're actually taking it from the social media world into the, I'm going to say it out loud, maybe not to your face, but I'm just going to say everything that I mean. Sometimes we need a Mike Tyson to come and punch us in the face. Because, you know what? We don't need to say everything. There's a lot of wisdom in a soft answer. We just aren't a very gentle society anymore. We think that we should stand up for ourselves, even if it means that I'm standing up and I'm becoming a jerk. What happens, though, is when I stand up for what I, what I need to say and I'm a jerk when I do it, we make the person that we're talking to have to stand up and be more of a jerk. And it's this cycle that just leads into this nature of conflict. Proverbs is saying that a soft answer, gentleness, is actually the principle to live by. Gentleness sucks the life out of anger. I love that. Gentleness sucks the life out of anger. And I think that I've seen it happen in my life. It's an incredibly true statement. Gentle words, when they are spoken to you, it is really hard for you to say angry stuff back. When I say something gentle to somebody and they're, they're going at me like crazy, it's really hard for them to be angry back. My wife is so gentle. And I don't like to fight with my wife. I'm actually, I'm probably more gentle to my wife than I am anybody else in my life. I don't want to fight with her. But even if I did, she would say something so nice and sweet back that I'd be like, I can't, I can't. I can't yell at you now. It's almost frustrating when people do that, right? There was a guy, I've said this before, but a, a good friend of mine, he, he wrote a really scathing email to me one time. And, I, and I've, you know, when you get an email like that, it's awesome because what happens is I wrote out the first email and I was, it was all the mad stuff back and then, and then I deleted that and I wrote the good email. And that's what's great about somebody emailing you all the mad stuff is because you can think through it a little bit. Now, I don't want you all to be like, I was, I was trying to figure out how to say some mean stuff to Kellen, now I'm going to email him when I get home. I don't want to get a bunch of bad emails like that. I'm not saying I like those emails. But when I responded gently to this guy's email, he sent me back another email, and it was amazing because his whole attitude had completely flipped. All the anger, completely gone. There is something powerful about gentleness. Now, Jesus was an incredibly great example of gentleness like this. The writer John, in, in the Gospel of John, writes a story about how a bunch of religious leaders, they came to Jesus and they were trying to get him to either say, yes, you can stone this woman that you found caught in adultery, or have him answer it so badly that they could take him to court and throw him into prison. They were trying to stump him. And so they come to Jesus and they're like, we found this woman who was caught in adultery, we're, we're going to stone her, what do you think? Jesus, in an absolute moment of gentleness... The Bible says that he stoops down and he, he starts writing in the sand. Nobody knows what he was writing in the sand. Sometimes I wonder if it wasn't like those kids who are like, count to ten before you say something. Jesus is just counting out to ten uh, in the sand. I don't know. But then he gets up and he says something that people quote to this day, the, the brilliance of what he said. Essentially what he said was, whoever is perfect, whoever has never sinned, Throw the first stone and be, start the process of killing this woman. And it's amazing just that gentle nature of Jesus. What happened when he, when he showcased that gentle nature? Every single person, one by one, just started walking away from this, 
this conflict. Now I think about what would Jesus, what would have happened if Jesus had, had gotten up in their face and, and get out of here, you guys are up, and, and just gone crazy mental mode. I think what would have happened is they probably would have left, but they would have left thinking, man, that Jesus guy, he's kind of a jerk. And the next time they came and found a woman who was caught in adultery, I think they still would have wanted to stone her. But I think they walked away with this gentle answer from Jesus, and I don't think that they were going out of their way to look for women who were caught in adultery anymore to stone them. When we answer people, are we trying to actually prove a point? Or are we trying to get a message across? I can be really, really loud and prove my point to people, and they walk away thinking I'm just a jerk. Or I can be gentle, and I can actually ha have them hear what I'm saying, and the, point get, the, the message gets across. Gentleness is not weakness. Imagine the change that could happen in your marriage if you would choose not to yell back, but to give a soft answer the next time things get heated. Gentleness is far from weakness. It is the opposite of weakness. In fact, it's more of a power under control. There is so much power in responding with gentleness. I'm telling you, it is our nature to just fly off the handle. But if I can, if I can with God's help, become a gentle person in those moments of conflict, that is what true power looks like, and that's how we actually can change hearts. Sometimes we don't act in a gentle way because we're so certain of how right we actually are. But it's very possible for us to be right in our thinking, but wrong in the asking, wrong in the saying. Just like Jesus could have responded the wrong way, we, we get in those moments where we respond the wrong way and we don't make a difference in people's lives that way. I'm telling you, I just don't think not being gentle is the way to get your point across. Now, you might be look, looking kind of in all the stories of Scripture, thinking through your mind and going, but wait, Kellen, Jesus one time turned over tables. He went to the temple. Yes, Jesus went to the temple one time and these people were selling, selling doves and selling all these animals to try to make a profit off of poor people and Jesus got really mad and he came into the temple and the Bible says he literally started turning tables over. He was mad. And we love that story of Jesus because that story tells me, yeah, I can be really, really mad sometimes. We love that story because A, I believe I'm right. B, Jesus did it. Well, guess what, guys? In the Bible, Jesus turned over tab tables one time. There's only one time that Jesus went and got that angry to where he was turning over tables. When you get mad and you go turning over tables in your anger, are you getting the person to consider their own actions or to just simply think about how crazy ridiculous you are in your actions? Again, I said, Crystal is the, my wife is the kindest person that I know. She's the most gentle person that I know. She's the most kind person that most people I know knows. But there have been a few times where she has had to turn over tables to get my attention. Not really. Not like literal tables. I'm telling you, I would think it would be the coolest day of my life if all of a sudden I saw my wife get mad and start throwing tables over. I'd be like, Dad, that's so cute, honey. Oh, turning tables over like that. Man. Here's the thing. Figuratively, she has turned over tables sometimes in our relationship. And it's helped me to see, to look at, okay, what is it, what is it that I'm doing? It's really a last case scenario to start turning tables over. 
If it's not a last case scenario, what's going to happen is the other person is just going to think that you're a jerk. Gentleness is better 99.99% of the time. How do I know that? It's because I only saw Jesus turn over tables one time. Yes, can it work? Sure. But is it a last case scenario? Yes. The Anatomy of Peace writes this. The deepest way in which we are right or wrong is in our way of being towards others. I can be right on the surface in my behavior positions while being entirely mistaken beneath in my way of being. I might, for example, yell at my kids about the importance of chores and be entirely correct about their importance. However, do you suppose I invite the help and cooperation I am wanting from them when my heart is at war in my yelling? Again, I'm not saying that yelling never should take place in our lives. But I'm saying gentleness should take place in our lives 99% of the time. If you want to become gentle because gentleness wins, here's what you do. Act, don't react. Act, don't react. Again, our human nature is to react. And the way that we react usually is anything, anything but gentle. And so if I want to learn to act, I need to start praying. At the beginning of the day, God, help me today to be gentle in the moments where I need to be gentle. We need to be thinking about it before it ever takes place so that, because it takes, it takes action on our part to be gentle, not reaction. What does it take for me to act instead of react? All right, let's get to the last principle. And this last principle, I think it, it's very much in line with the principle that we just talked about. James 1, 19 and 20 says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Let's be honest, a lot of the conflict that comes up in our lives, it is because of the things that get spewed out of our mouths, right? My wife would love it if I would say about 50% of the things that I say. I would get myself into so much less trouble, you guys. It'd be beautiful. Being gentle is not always going to get us there. Sometimes we actually just need to shut our mouths. That's what James is really trying to say here. Listen. Shut your mouths for a little bit. How often is the first thing that comes to your mind to say actually worthwhile? Especially in moments of conflict. The first thing that comes to your mind is usually pretty stupid. Let's be honest. Let's take it back Use our ears a little bit. Using our ears more than our mouths helps to produce right responses in times of conflict. Using your ears first, it actually creates that buffer zone that we need so that the things that come out of my mouth might actually be intelligent, might actually be worthwhile, might actually build up the person that I'm talking to. Unfortunately, we don't like to take the time to listen because what we want to do is when somebody else is talking, we're just thinking about what it is that's making them wrong. We want to tell that person all the reasons why they're wrong. I got a suggestion. Maybe we should go into situations where there's conflict with the idea that maybe I'm wrong. I don't think we go into, into conflict very often thinking, okay, how might I be wrong in this situation? We often go into that, how are they wrong and how can I point it out to them? How would it change our conflict? How would it change our relationships if we went into those disagreements, those arguments with the idea of, okay, how might I be wrong? And let it go from there. Use our ears before we use our mouths. 
Thinking I'm always right assures me that I'm going to welcome more conflict into my life. The Anatomy of Peace writes, when our hearts are at war, we tend to exaggerate others' faults. We exaggerate others' faults, but we also under-exaggerate my own faults. Everybody else is worse and I'm right. And the more that I think I'm right, the more I'm willing to dig in to what I'm already wrong about. If I've said something is so, even though I might, you might say something to me and I'm like, oh, that makes sense, I'm going to dig in on what is wrong because I don't want to admit it. How many conflicts do we have that, that are birthed because we just are not willing to say, yes, maybe I was wrong. If you're mired in conflict with the people around you, just begin to open that door. Begin to consider how you might be the one that's wrong. Usually conflict, we're both wrong in some way, right? Begin to listen. And when you think that you've found where the other person is wrong, shut your mouth and listen a little while longer. Just because we think that the other person is wrong doesn't mean it's time for us to spew that at them. It's a way to, that's a way to create more conflict. Right behavior, righteousness comes by sl being slow to anger, by being slow to speak. Conflict lives. It lives on when our mouths outwork our ears. If you do a lot more talking than, than listening, you're welcoming yourself to a life of conflict. I think God's word teaches us a lot of stuff about how we're supposed to relate to people. We can forgive, we can be gentle, we can listen. All of this sounds a lot like how Jesus deals with you and me. It all comes back to the way that Jesus has treated us. You see, we actually are in conflict with God. Our sin created conflict with God. There is a, there's a discord in the relationship with God. And so what Jesus did coming to this world, he actually came to resolve conflict. Jesus is a conflict resolution person. And he, it says in 2 Corinthians 9, God was bringing the world back to himself through Christ. He did not hold people's sins against them. God has trusted us with the message that people may be brought back to him. Here is what Christ wants us to beg you to do. Come back to God. Christ didn't have any sin, but God made him become sin for us. So we can be made right with God because of what Christ has done for us. How did Jesus resolve our conflict with God? He went to the cross for us. He humbled himself for us. He didn't stand up in front of us and tell us all the ways that we were sinful. All these people that he came and he, he met in, in the New Testament that were sinners, he never once started off with, here's how you're wrong and here's what you're doing. He had relationship with them. He was patient with them. He was gentle with them. And yet we think that to resolve my conflicts, I need to tell everybody exactly where they're wrong. That's not how Jesus did it. Jesus did it with humility. It always comes back to humility, forgiveness, gentleness. And I think Jesus wants to help heal our relationships today. I don't know what relationships you came in with today that, that are a little bit strained, but if you're a human being, you probably have a strained relationship somewhere. And right now, here's what I want you to understand. He is not dealing with that other person right now. Jesus is dealing with you. Jesus is dealing with me. I am part of the equation in the conflicts of my life. And so I need to take what, what God's saying to us this morning and say, okay, this isn't for the, the person that I'm, I'm mad at, that I'm in conflict with. This is for me. 
God, how do you want me to be different in conflict? God, how do you want to change me? Where do I need to show forgiveness? Where do I need to learn how to be gentle? Where do I need to learn how to shut my mouth and listen? Are you willing to take on some of that same kind of humble attitude that Jesus took on for you? Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.